Well, I'd like to ask you if you'll take your Bibles tonight and turn with me to the book of Jeremiah, Jeremiah 29. I'd like to commend you for coming back to church on Sunday night. And uh, it is an unusual day where uh, uh, because of COVID-19, a lot of God's people are, are trying to work through this, and I understand it. But I'm just so thrilled that you're here tonight, and I hope that you'll be encouraged and challenged tonight from God's Word. When when the, when the entire COVID-19 situation began to um, take shape and, of course, our lives were all pretty much affected by it, it, more or less, within a week or so, we were all living the same thing. Um, we, 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 if you're like me, um, you thought, okay, we're going to get through this and we're going to keep moving forward. And then the 25th of May came around. And a gentleman named George Floyd was killed in Minneapolis, Minnesota, and suddenly we were thrown into social and civil unrest all over the United States. And uh, things started to break loose in a lot of different ways. And in some things you just, every day you, 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 you check out the news to find out what's going on today and what's happening, and then all kinds of uh, disturbances going on, and I don't know how you are, but uh, I'm 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 careful about who I listen to and who I read and who I let influence me. You understand what I'm saying? And 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 I began to ask the question to myself: God, what is it that you're doing, and what is it that the people of God should be doing today? And obviously those are sort of basic questions that probably all of us have asked. And of course, there are always far more complex questions and more complex answers. But what I would like to do tonight is to take you to this passage of Scripture and to share with you some thoughts that I had at the uh, really very beginning, late May, early June, that were directional thoughts for in part what we're doing at Bob Jones University and how we are approaching some things. And I'm saying it to you because they are derived out of biblical truths of how we are to live our lives in the day and age we're living in. And I think that we'll see tonight that this is what God has always intended for his people of how they are to live no matter what situation they find themselves in. My message tonight is entitled, The Way of the Exile, and is found here in Jeremiah tw chapter 29, verses 1 through 7. We're going to read verse 1, and then we'll drop down to verse 4. This is the letter that was sent, sent by Jeremiah the prophet to the Jewish people that were living in exile in Babylon and his instructions to them. Would you note with me, please, this, this evening, Jeremiah 29 and verse 1. Let's hear God's word together. Now, these are the words of the letter that Jeremiah the prophet sent from Jerusalem under the residue of the elders which were carried away captives, and to the priest, and to the prophets, and to all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar had carried away captive from Jerusalem to Babylon. So he tells us who he's writing to. Now we come to verse 4, and here's what he says. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, unto all that are carried away captives, whom I have caused to be carried away from Jerusalem unto Babylon, 
and now he tells them what to do. Build ye houses and dwell in them, and plant gardens and eat the fruit of them. Take ye wives and beget sons and daughters, and take wives for your sons, and give your daughters to husbands that they may bear sons and daughters, that you may be increased there and not diminished. And seek the peace of the city, whither I have caused you to be carried away captives, and pray unto the Lord for it. For in the peace thereof, that is, in their peace, shall you have peace. And may God add his blessing to the reading of his word. Let's pray. Father, thank you tonight for the truth that we find in your word. We thank you that it was true for these captives uh, 2,500 years ago. And Lord, it is still true for us today. Help us to live out our lives in this world in a way that uh, fulfills and accomplishes your will, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. In the year 587 B.C., Jerusalem was attacked by the Babylonians and their king, Nebuchadnezzar. It was one year later that the city, after a siege, was plundered and burned and destroyed, including the Jewish temple of worship. So what happened? Thousands of Israelites were taken from their homes and they were relocated over 500 miles away in what we know today as ancient Babylon. The Jews became exiles. They were captives. You could say they were an oppressed minority. They were surrounded by a new culture in a new country with a new ruler and the worship of new gods. So the question is, how were they to live their lives as exiles in the land? What would you think that they would consider doing? Well, no doubt, I'm sure, because of the nature, of, particularly of Jewish people, that they would want to resist Babylon through political revolt, to overthrow what they were, those to whom they are now being suppressed. Perhaps there were some that would want to totally withdraw and isolate themselves and be as separate and far away from Babylonian culture as possible. And no doubt, there would be some who because of God's judgment upon them and now they were no longer living in the land, no longer in the temple, no longer in the sacrifices, and in a sense no longer under, uh, under the construct of what they were living in, that they would sort of throw in the towel, immerse themselves into the culture, adopt the Babylonian way of lifestyle, and accept their new gods as their own. So whether it was political, or whether it was a form of isolation, or whether it was a form of immersion into the culture, this is probably what was going on within the conversations of the people. But it's very interesting that Je Jeremiah wrote them and he actually told them what to do. And what he told them to do was, I'm sure, different than what they would have thought. And perhaps it was very surprising. So what did Jeremiah tell them to do? 
He told them to build houses. By the way, if you build a house in that day, you're settling in. He told them to plant gardens. It sounds pretty mundane. He told them to grow their families, have children, and then let your children grow up, and then let your children get married so that they could do what is the reward for parenting. It's called grandchildren. Have grandkids. Now, does that surprise you? And then he said something in verse 7 that is very worthy of our notation. He said, and seek the peace of the city, whether I've caused you to be carried away captives. I was the one that sent you into slavery. Now, I want you to seek the peace of those people who are now holding you in exile. I want you to seek their well-being. I want you to seek their welfare. I want you to serve the community of the Babylonians. For in serving their welfare, it will be your welfare. And he said, this is God's way. Not compromise, not isolation, not revolt. But it is seeking the welfare, the peace, seeking the shalom of the city. Now, is that surprising to you? That's what he tells us to do. Seek the peace of the city. Seek their shalom. So what does the word shalom mean? Well, it's, 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 it's a really, really important word. We know in Isaiah 9 and verse 6, Jesus is called the prince of what? The prince of shalom. In the New Testament, Jesus said, my shalom I give unto you, not as the world gives, give I unto you. We know that God is called the God of peace, the God of shalom. So what does shalom mean? Well, it's sort of an all-encompassing word and no one adjective can fully describe it. It means to live under favorable circumstances. It means to live in a state that is free from danger. Midland had a flood in the last year, did it not? It disturbed the peace. It created problems. It created issues that have not still been fully resolved. Now you know what the opposite of peace is. That's what I'm talking about. It's the idea of being uh, in, a, in a place where you're healthy and whole. Where there's an absence of disease or virus. So to seek a vaccination for COVID-19 is actually a part of seeking the peace and the welfare of the city. It's the idea of having your needs met and your content. You're happy. It's the idea of friendship, of having relationships, associations, affection, friendships, family, community. It's the idea of blessing one another with great acts of kindness and giving. It's the Christmas spirit. All of those ideas help us to understand 
what it means to be at peace. And here's what God said to these people living in foreign land, in a land where they had been enslaved. He told the people of God, build your houses, plant your gardens, raise your kids, have your grandchildren, and seek the peace, the welfare of the city, and pray for it. So what does this look like? Can we think of anybody in the Bible that was living in that time that actually exemplified what this looks like? And the answer is, of course, yes, there is. There's a whole book about it. It's a book that was written by the guy the book's named after. And his name is Daniel. Daniel and his three friends. You say, why Daniel? Because Daniel was a part of the exiles who were taken out of the land of Israel because of their sin and idolatry. God's judgment came upon them, and they were taken to Babylon. And what happened? These four, Daniel and we call the three Hebrew children, by the way, their names were Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. All of their names, by the way, represented various names for the name of God. For example, Daniel means my God is judge. And because of their background, their royal heritage, they were recruited to work in the high court of Babylon. Now, was it wrong for them to work for the enemy? The answer is no. Would they seek to overthrow the king from the inside? The answer is no, because Jeremiah told them what to do. Instead, what did Daniel do? And what did these three Hebrew children do? Well, first of all, they had their names changed. Now, you probably don't remember Daniel's name very well because it was changed to Belteshazzar. But you do remember the other three? Their names were what? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. By the way, all of those names were representative of the gods of Babylon. Not only did their name change, but their clothing changed. They started wearing Babylonian garb. Not only that, but they were sent to Babylonian University where they learned the language of Babylon and they came to understand the culture because you can't have influence over anybody if you can't communicate with them and you don't understand their culture. And what did they do? They sought the well-being of their community. Were they, were they disloyal to God? The answer is absolutely not. They were always faithful to God in the midst of their pursuit of the well-being of the people. So what did they do? How did they live? They did two basic things. Number one, as I've already mentioned, they sought the welfare, they served the people, they served Babylon, and secondly, they remained faithful and loyal to God in the midst. And in that faithfulness, they never compromised. And when needed, they always stood faithful to God. Always. And so what do we see? We see at least in three chapters, we see there were things that they would not do. In Daniel chapter 1, they would not eat the king's meat. Why not? Well, we don't really know what kind of meat it was. It, it could have been barbecue or bacon 
or ham, so they would never eat pig's meat. Or it could have been meat that was offered to idols, or it could have been meat where the blood was not drained out and the law required that you don't eat steak rare. Whatever the case was, if they ate the meat, they would violate the law of God and they said, we're not going to break God's laws, no matter what. And so their, their, their supervisor got concerned because his job was on the line because if they didn't eat the meat, then they would lose weight, then they would not look well, and he was concerned. And so Daniel offered a suggestion, let us eat vegetables. Well, if you and I know anything, if you want to lose weight, what do you eat? Vegetables. And they said, they, and obviously the supervisor was concerned. He said, well, let's try it for 10 days. And they went on a 10-day vegan diet. And instead of gaining weight, what happened? Excuse me, instead of losing weight, what happened? They gained weight. And what did God show the Hebrew children? He is always faithful to defend his people when they choose to obey his word. We come to Daniel chapter 3. You know the story. Daniel's not on the scene, but Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are there. And in Daniel chapter 3, the king commands that they would bow down. They are to bow down and worship an idol when the music begins to play. And you can read the chapter yourself, and when the music played, the whole country went down on their knees except for three. And three of them said, we're not going to bow our knee to an idol because that's a violation of the first two commandments of God. You're not to worship an idol. And what happened to them? They were thrown into a fiery furnace. And what did God do for them? He vindicated them. And God himself showed up. And I believe the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, and he was with them there in the fiery furnace, and God vindicated the faithfulness of his people. And then we come to Daniel chapter 6. And the king sends out a command that no man can pray to his God. And Daniel decided to do what he did every single day. He prayed three times a day, and he went back to his room. He opened up the windows that led, that, that was in the direction of Jerusalem, and he got on his knees and he prayed, and because of that, he was taken and thrown into a lion's den. And what happened to Daniel? God vindicated his people once again by giving the lions lockjaw. And so he spent the night with the lions and woke up the next, and the king came the next morning and found out that he was alive. And of course, he took the accusers of Daniel and they threw them into the lion's den and the lions had breakfast. And what do we learn from Daniel? What is Daniel teaching us? That God's people are to live as exiles in a foreign land and they are to be faithful and they are, they are to serve and they are to serve the community, but they do not compromise and violate the laws of God because God is to be obeyed over man. But not only did Daniel, there were things that Daniel would not do, but there were things that Daniel had to say when he had the opportunity. And that's Daniel's chapters 2, 4, and 5. And in Daniel chapter 2, it was the interpretation of a dream of a great image with a head of gold, a chest of silver, loins of bronze or copper, and feet made out of clay and iron. And the, story, and the dream is that a great rock comes and crushes it and destroys the image. 
And of course, that was a representation of the four Gentile nations that controlled Israel or kept them under control, almost as slaves, not exactly as slaves. For the gold head represented Nebuchadnezzar, the Babylonians. And the, and the silver chest represented the Medes and the Persians. And the copper represented the Greeks. And the legs of iron and clay represented the Romans. And so this was an interpretation of history because history is his story. And that great rock is the coming of the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the Messiah, that is going to crush, in essence, Babylon. Because all of those nations represented what we call Babylon as a whole. Because Babylon is more than a nation, it's an idea. It is the nations of the world that rebel against God in idol worship have their own definition of evil and they control. And he says God is going to destroy these nations and he's going to bring them under judgment. He's going to rule and reign. And when is that going to take place at the second coming of Jesus Christ? In Daniel chapter 4, he interprets the dream of King Nebuchadnezzar and said, Nebuchadnezzar, because you are, you, you are high and mighty in your own mind, you, you are divine in your own mind, I'm going to put you on the back 40 and you're going to become like a wild person until you realize and acknowledge that God rules and reigns. And then in Daniel chapter 5, we have the story of the handwriting on the wall during the feast of Belshazzar, where they are blaspheming the God of heaven. And a hand comes out and writes the words, many, many, tekel, ufarsin, which essentially means this. Neb, uh, Belshazzar, your kingdom's over. You're done. You're finished. You're found in the balances and found wanting. And tonight, you're going to be destroyed and your kingdom's going to be given to the Medes and Persians. Now, here's what I want you to note. In all of those occasions, Daniel was put in a place to speak the truth of God, and he spoke the truth without compromise. How are God's people supposed to live in the world? We're to be in the world, but not of the world. We are to serve the community, not through isolation, not through withdrawal, not through compromise, not through political revolt. But we are to serve the community and love the community. And the greatest way we can serve the community is the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because in preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, man gets peace with God. There is therefore now no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. Being justified by faith, we have peace with God. The greatest thing you can do is to preach the gospel of peace. And thank God we live in a country where we are not hindered to preach the gospel of peace. So this is what he told the Jewish people to do. And Daniel lived all of his days in Babylon. He never got back to Israel, never saw Jerusalem again. Yet he maintained the mindset of an exile. He continued the same practice of loyalty and resistance, even though through many kings and many different versions of Babylon. Now, let's fast forward very quickly. And let's come to the time of Jesus. And the day of Jesus, the empire that was ruling in his day were who? Who are they? The Romans. They were a part of that image of Daniel chapter 2. 
And in that day in which Jesus was living, there were different types of Israelites. For example, there were the political zealots who resisted the Roman government and tried to overthrow it. And in 70 AD, when the Roman nation was destroyed, it was destroyed primarily because of the insurrection of the zealots. There were also the Essenes, who were the isolationists, who lived in a town, a community called Qumran on the Dead Sea. And they left Jerusalem because they wanted to isolate themselves. There were also the worldly Sadducees, who gave in and adopted Roman culture and their gods. We would say that they were worldly. And then there were the Pharisees, the separationists who in many ways were very positive and good force, but in many ways they became very distracted because they focused on the minutia of the law and they didn't really look at the big things. And into that world, Jesus comes. And Jesus was different from them all. And what did he t- tell the people of his own day? He said, pay taxes to Caesar... But never, never mistake Caesar for God. God deserves your total life and allegiance. And he taught them, in a sense, to be loyal to God and at the same time be loyal to him and serve the community and then stand against that which is wrong. He said, love and bless your enemies. And yet he got arrested for speaking out against the corruption of his day. He critiqued their idolatry. And it cost him his life. But what did God do for Jesus? The same thing he did for Daniel and his three Hebrew children. He vindicated Jesus when he resurrected him from the dead. And Jesus is the true king of the nations, the king that Daniel hoped for. And Jesus has promised that one day his kingdom will prevail and he will return and he will set up a kingdom and he will crush the powers of Babylon, the fall of Babylon the Great, as we read in the book of the Revelation. So until then, how do believers live? Well, we live like the Bible tells us to live. We are to seek the shalom of the city and be faithful to our God. So we come to 1 Peter, the book of God's people suffering. In chapter 5 and verse 2, he says, The church that is in Babylon. By the way, we are living, the church today is in Babylon. You know what Babylon is? It's called the United States. Some of you, you don't like that, do you? Well, it's true. Go read your Bible. The church is living in Babylon. Do we not, do we not have worldly power? Do we not have idolatry? Do we not have immorality? Do we not have a lust for materialism and corruption? The church that is in Babylon, and in 1 Peter chapter 2, what does he call them? He calls them strangers and pilgrims, literally foreigners and exiles. And what does he tell them to do? He says, honor all men, fear God, honor the king, 
Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable. Seek peace and pursue it. Seek the peace of the city. What did Paul pray for in 1 Timothy chapter 2? Many of you know this prayer. Pray for kings and all that are in authority that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. Why? For God will have all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. This is acceptable in the sight of God our Savior. It hadn't changed, folks. What, what Paul told us to do, what Paul wrote to Timothy, what Peter tells us to do, what Jesus did, what Jeremiah did, it's the same thing. We are to seek the peace of the community. We are to serve the community. And yet at the same time, we are to stand faithful to God. So Babylon exists not just as an ancient city, but as a symbol throughout the Bible. And it describes the human institutions that demands allegiance to its idols and their definitions of good and evil. We all live and we all work in Babylon. So how do we live? Do we withdraw? Do we become culturally compromised? No, we seek the peace of Babylon. We serve it. We're the best people in the community because we love it the most. Do we endorse every political movement? The answer is absolutely not. Our ultimate allegiance is to Jesus, his church, and his kingdom. The Bible does not give us a simple answer to all the complex set of issues that come up. We have to deal with them as, we, as they come up. But it does give us a command to follow. And it does give us a story to live by. So let me put it in practical terminology for us at Bob Jones University, and y'all can figure out how to do it in this, this community. We have a strategic plan at Bob Jones University, and we have four things that we're trying to accomplish. And one of those is to seek the welfare of the community. How do we serve the upstate of South Carolina through a Christian institution? How do we do that? And so we have set a strategy. We know that we can do it through education. That's seeking the peace of the community. We know that we can do it through lots of community work and effort. Most importantly, we can do it through being faithful servants in local churches and praying for all of those in authority and praying for the people of our community, praying for the diversity of the people that live in our community, reaching out to sections of minorities that are poor and doing the best that we can to serve them praying for our police department and praying for them as they lead and, and supporting them and doing the best that we can. So whether it's through education or whether it's through business or whether it's through um, uh, uh, health or whether it's through, uh, we have a school of health profession and we're sending out nurses and doctors and about 80% of them end up in upstate of South Carolina. Out of the 40,000 graduates of Bob Jones University, 10,000 of them live in Greenville, South Carolina. So we're trying to seek the peace of the city. And we're trying to do it 
And, and by the way, it's what, in a sense, you already know to do. So let's keep doing it, and let's pray for God's blessing, that God will be glorified. We're living in a world that is at odds with God. We're living in Babylon. And may the Lord help us to be faithful as exiles in this foreign land. Would you bow your head with me as we pray? Father, thank you tonight for your word. Thank you for your people. We pray you'll strengthen the church, help it to be strong, faithful, help it to stand for what is true and what is right and to stand against that which is wrong. And yet at the same time, love and serve and give themselves unreservedly. In Jesus' name, amen.